Well, let me begin like I always do by reading the passage for us, and then I'll pray, and then we'll consider what the Lord Lord would have for us in this passage. So Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Let's pray. Father, now we pray for hearts of humility, for sober minds, that we would accurately think about your word. Father, give us guidance, give us your grace, that we may um, consider these truths with uh, consistency. Lord, that we may consider them um, with honesty. Lord, help us to be discerning, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Once upon a time, a boy came into the village, looked around to see if there was anything to do. Didn't seem like much was happening. And so as a good 10-year-old kid, he decided to pull a little prank. And uh, wasn't sure what to do, so he knew that a lot of times they were really protective of all their livestock, and so... He uh, got up a big wind and ran up in the town center, huffing and puffing, and screamed out, Wolves! Wolves are here! And everyone ran out to get the wolves to protect the sheep, and there was no wolves. And as they came back into town, the boy was just laughing, and you know they rebuke him and don't do that again. Well, a year later goes by. He's like, hey, it's been a while since I pulled out the wolf card. Guys, I'm serious. There's wolves. We've got to go. And they run out of town. And there's no wolves. And then a couple weeks later, this kid is out doing his thing in the countryside, and he sees wolves. Comes running in. I swear, I promise, I swear, I promise. There's wolves. But no one believes him. The boy who cried wolf, right? The boy who cried wolf. What's interesting about that story is it's really a story about don't let your reputation, don't don't be the kind of person who just makes up things and lies because when something serious happens, you won't believe them. What I find interesting about that story, though, is that most people would still probably have listened. I'm not saying that at times people don't ever lose their reputation and they don't become trustworthy. And sometimes we we do come across people who are just pathological liars. (laughs) There's a funny comedian where he has this roommate of his and he's a pathical liar and he would just make up a story and he would say, hey man, I heard you went fishing, knowing that he didn't go fishing. Yeah, yeah, man, I went fishing. Like, awesome, like, so were you catching salmon? Yeah, we're catching a lot of salmon. Like, I'm sure you probably caught a lot of fish. Oh, I caught, I probably caught like 50 fish. 
Oh, really? Like, I thought, like, the, the license only said you could have five. Oh, yeah, but we were just putting them back. So, like, you have no fishing pole. So how, I'll, I'll just catch them in my hand. Right? And, like, but I heard there was, like, a lot of bears in that area. Yeah, there was bears trying to, like, you caught 50 salmon with your bare hand with bears? Like, you just would catch them into these crazy lies. Like, just pathological liars. They just can't help themselves, right? And, and so don't get me wrong, there's times where people, I, I think, they don't trust and believe certain people. The problem is, is, is actually, we are actually far too gullible to believing people. It's usually not the other way around. We are very easily influenced by the people and the surroundings that we live in. In fact, this is what's one of the interesting things of studying philosophy or studying culture, is just to see how people, this is the air we breathe in, the music and the entertainment and the language and the cultural things that we do. We can't help but be influenced by our Western way of thinking. And, and Jesus here is kind of letting us into that a little bit. He, he is kind of saying, hey, it is very tempting to believe everything you hear. Okay, so as much as we would like to think that story about the little boy who cried, I think most of the people probably would have still followed him out there. And the challenge, I think, for us in this passage is to learn how to be discerning to the voices that we should listen to and the voices that we shouldn't listen to. As we mentioned, Jesus is finishing up his sermon and what I really appreciate about both Jesus and with the Apostle Paul, it is either black or white. There is never any middle ground. It is either you are in Christ or you are in Adam. You are either of Jacob or of Esau. You are either, either in the light or in the darkness. You're part of the kingdom of, of God or you're part of the, the kingdom of darkness. Jesus says that you're either on the narrow path or on the wide path. There's either a tree that bears good fruit or a tree that bears bad fruit. There's either the man who builds his house on the solid rock or on the sand. Two ways to live. And Jesus here begins with a warning, talking about two different types of trees. A tree that bears good fruit and a tree that bears bad fruit. But it's in the context of, of people who parade themselves as teachers, as prophets. Uh, we probably wouldn't call them these nowadays. We would call them maybe, I'm an influencer. I'm a pastor. I'm a community leader. I'm a politician. I'm an artist. I'm a singer. I'm a football player. These are the people who we are tempted to be influenced by, where we get from them our sense of right and wrong, of what should I think about myself? What should I do with my life? And notice the very first word Jesus says here. Look down at verse 15. Beware. Beware. In essence, be warned, right? 
be warned. And so Jesus, as he is closing up his sermon, he's concluding the two paths, the two trees, the two houses. He gives us two examples of a, of a false prophet, right? Of, of someone who is truly talking about the kingdom and someone who is not. And so the first point I kind of want to make in this passage is, is this. We need to realize that there are people who will look like Christians, talk like Christians, act like Christians, but who in fact are nothing of the sort. It just needs to be said, and Jesus comes right out and says it, you need to be warned. You will have people who will say the right things, who will do the right things, and they're going to be talking about the kingdom, but in fact, here's really what they are. Wolves in sheep's clothing. What's very interesting about this passage is Jesus has talked quite a bit already about in the kingdom, we avoid hypocrisy. We don't simply, you know, look how great of a prayer person I am in front of public or look how much money I give to get the praise of man. We do these things for God. But Jesus here is really kind of describing someone who in their very nature is a hypocrite. Now, here's what I find even more sobering about this passage. The youth pastor before me who occupied this pulpit seems to be showing himself to be one of these people who Jesus says to beware of. The, the, I don't know what the word is, irony or the sadness, whatever it is, is, is not a miss on me when I think of this passage. And one thing we have to realize here is Jesus is probably not training his disciples to go out like a witch hunt to find false prophets. So before we kind of explain this passage and apply it and all these things, first thing I want to say is we don't want to approach this passage and then have all of this suspicion at every single leader or Christian pastor or even me and say like, I don't know, man, are you really a, a good one? Are you one of these false prophets? So I don't think we, we keep, you know, we have this magnifying glass and looking at all these people. But at the same time, again, here is what Jesus is trying to get us to learn here. In the kingdom, we must be discerning about the voices that we listen to. You guys, let me tell you, never in the world's generation has, in the world's history, excuse me, never in the world's history has your generation been more easily influenced. Let me tell you why. Because you have access to so many thoughts, so many opinions, the 24-hour news cycle, social media, being super well-connected. Most people in the history of humankind probably never went more than a day's walk away from their, the place they were born. Right? And we have so many thoughts, so many different teachers and friends and families of origin, and it just all comes pouring in. And, and I think Jesus wants us here be careful. Think about the people who are speaking into your lives. 
And so with that, let's look a little further into this passage and see what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Are ravenous wolves. So what's interesting, and so I know I kind of use the example of um, influencers and sports stars and rock stars. What Jesus is talking more precisely about, though, is people who call themselves Christians. People like a prophet back then was, you know, synonymous with what you would think is a pastor. Someone who's like a, a spiritual leader, right? And look how they come. They come in sheep's clothing. Now, that's kind of a weird illustration, isn't it? A prophet who just kind of dresses up like sheep clothing. Why is he saying that? Well, part of that is understanding the Old Testament prophets. A lot of times, Old Testament prophets would forego the worldly goods of having nice clothes and good cloaks, and they would dress kind of in the bare minimum, and they would just take some of the sheep's clothing, and it was to portray humility and meekness. Even John the Baptist, you know, if you remember a little bit of him, kind of that weird dude who, you know, had his cloak or his shirt made out of camel hair and ate wild honey and locusts. Again, it's this kind of way of life that demonstrates that they are kind of walking the walk and talking the talk, right? And so a lot of times, prophets, they would come and they would look right. They would look good. Like a modern-day example, they went to a good Bible college. They have the bright education. It seems like all their ducks line up in a row. You know, uh, recently, my wife and I have followed this Instagram page for a long time, but it recently kind of got public. It's, uh, it's called Preachers and Sneakers, right? Have you, has anyone heard of this? Preachers and Sneakers. So what this guy does is he finds pictures of famous kind of evangelical pastors and if they're ever wearing something that's just like obnoxiously expensive, um, he puts, puts a picture of it. So he'll put up a picture of, of, of a pastor, of a guy in Seattle, who's wearing a, a Louis Vuitton uh, jacket, and it's retailed at $13,500. Or another pastor who's wearing a pair of sneakers that's worth $3,000. And he usually puts the link of like, look at the shoes, here's the link to it, and it shows you the retail price of all these. And what he's kind of doing on his Instagram page is he's exposing these people. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, isn't, a, a, you know, an automatic sin that a pastor wears something rich? Not necessarily. But you can easily see how, if that's the picture, I mean, Christians, we're supposed to be pursuing the poor and, and righteousness. And, and don't get me wrong. It's not pastors can't ever have nice things, but that type of wealth doesn't seem to bode well for the example we're called to have, right? And so, in any, anyways, he exposes these guys. But, but in essence, what, what, what Jesus is saying is like, those guys are the obvious ones. A, a true false prophet is someone who you would never think that. They look good. They look like the sheep. They look like they're coming with gentleness, right? They're not assuming they say the right things. They're likable. They're winsome. They speak with confidence. But here's what Jesus says about them. Look what he says in verse 16. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. So the warning here is simply this, that in the kingdom of God, there are always going to be teachers and leaders who are hypocrites, 
who are false prophets, who, who look good, but ultimately on the inward are not regenerated. They have not been born again. They do not know Jesus for who he truly is. And guys, let me just tell you something. That is just something you need to know. That is something you need to be prepared for. Part of the reason why last year we went through the book of Hebrews was kind of, in a way, my own working through how I've seen so many famous, large Christian pastors and authors fall away from the Lord. But in a way, can we not say that we weren't warned? Doesn't Jesus say right here, be warned. There are going to be people who say the right things, who talk the right things, but in fact, they aren't. Listen to what um, this commentator, D.A. Carson, says about false prophets, these types of false prophets. There is nothing in their preaching which fosters poverty of spirit, nothing which searches the conscience and makes men cry to God for mercy, nothing which preaches against the forms of religious hypocrisy, nothing which prompts such righteousness of conduct and attitude that some persecution is inevitable. It is even possible in some instances that everything these false prophets say is true, but because they leave out difficult bits, they do not tell the whole truth and their total message is false. So moving in a little bit to, okay, so if there's these guys who look like really good guys, but they're not, how do we learn to recognize this? And what I find helpful about this quote, guys, listen. Typically speaking, when it comes to learning about being discerning about the voices we should listen to, a false prophet will never start preaching a message and say something like, hey, by the way, Jesus really isn't God. Hey, by the way, that thing, the Trinity, that's not real. Hey, really quick, this Bible you have, you don't really have to believe it or kind of read it. It's fine. False prophets don't come out and say these really abrasive, you know, false truths. They're a lot more subtle. And what D.A. Carson is saying here, a lot of times, the way you discern them is by what they don't say. Is every time you walk away from a sermon, you just feel good about yourself. It's just inspirational. It's just kind of, hey, Jesus loves you, go get him this week. If I, can, I, can I be honest with you, a little point of application here? If there is never a time where you don't walk away from a sermon just feeling convicted, feeling like the Lord is calling you to change, feeling some way in which you are called to repent or to trust in the Lord, I, there's a sense in which that, that's the goal of biblical preaching, is to help us to come at the end of ourselves, but to, to turn to Christ. And so a lot of times, don't get me wrong, it's really easy to say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, and we don't want to do that. But here's the thing. It is very easy to preach a gospel that is just a feel-good gospel. And I think, sadly, there are many people in the churches around the world, especially today, that simply preach a feel-good gospel. So with all of that said, I know it's a long disclaimer, what are the two ways that Jesus says we recognize these false teachers? Let's look down. 
Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So a little bit of these next two points is me kind of relying on what the rest of the New Testament teaches about false prophets. Now, here's the thing. What is very interesting to me is that the rest and towards the end of the New Testament, the New Testament authors are very, very mindful of the threat of false teaching. And can I be honest? In the history of the church from Pentecost to now, there has been and there still is a ton of false teaching. I mean, sometimes it's just astonishing to me how much bad teaching there is still being preached. And I think part of the reason, and sometimes I struggle with that, like, why does God allow this? Why does God keep letting these, these dudes, it's like a whack-a-mole. You get rid of one false teacher and three more pop up. And I think part of the reason is, is because it forces us to actually learn to defend the truth. It forces us to know the truth. And so the first way in which we can recognize the fruit of a false teacher is by what they teach. Do me a favor, keep your finger right here and turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. Like I said, the end of the New Testament talks quite a bit about false teachers or false prophets. Uh, second and third John, the book of Jude, parts of Hebrews, second Peter. Paul references it a number of times in his epistles. Paul mentions it in the book of Acts. But here's a good example in second Peter chapter two, verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now do me a favor, in that same chapter, scroll down to verse 17. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit 
and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Um, I read that second part just because of the seriousness of listening to false prophets, listening to false teachers. But notice what, notice what Peter, notice what the New Testament authors say, that they secretly bring in destructive heresies. And so let me give you a little example of, of, a, of a friend of mine who, who shared a, a story and a testimony. He said, uh, there's this guy who came into their church, and he was well-liked, he was good-looking, he was strong and confident and really seemed to want to serve the church, and he was open to the church. And he was there for probably a good two or three years. And he was leading a Bible study with a few women. And um, a couple months in, one of the women approached the elders and said, hey, I don't really know how to put my finger on it, but something about what this guy is teaching just seems a little odd. And so they go and they meet with this guy and he seems to be saying the right things and says, I believe in Jesus and he died on the cross for my sins and anyone who believes in Jesus can be saved. And they're like, okay. So they kind of let it go. And then a few months later, they hear another thing. Something that he keeps bringing up. And so what he had eventually kind of was teaching a lot of women in the church, that baptism was really the only thing that you needed to have to have assurance of your faith. And if you haven't been baptized, then you aren't a Christian. And what happened is he really kind of started teaching these women, and they really believed him and bought into it. And then at the time that the elders got involved, there was all these people thinking that baptism was more or less the thing that was going to save them. Okay? And it caused a uh, big controversy in the church, and, and usually feelings get hurt and all of these things. But, but does, does baptism save people? No. Who saves people? Jesus. Jesus saves people. Right? And so do you see how it's very easy, though, to, for, a, for a false teacher to come in and to kind of say a lot of the right things? But they kind of begin to sneakily kind of add in things. And, and whether this is out of just a selfish, greedy heart or out of their own ignorance, I think it just depends. But guys, let me just make a few points of application here, okay? How do we recognize false teachers? By their teaching. This is why, listen, listen very carefully. This is why we must know the word. This is why we must study the word. This is why when we come to youth group, truth be told, I am not always trying to be cool, I'm trying to be faithful in teaching you the scripture. This is why we care about theology and doctrine, so that we can discern truth from error. I, 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 gotta, I gotta quote my boy John MacArthur here, right? People are always telling him, theology divides, doctrine divides, and he says, absolutely, theology divides. It divides truth from error. And this is, this is why becoming a mature Christian is someone who in the kingdom of God is always looking to the words of Christ for instruction and doing this in a responsible manner. And so guys, listen, being part of Jesus' kingdom means that we need to learn to be discerning about everything we hear. Okay? 
One of the best things I can teach you. And I hope that you even do this with me. Not that, again, that we have to have this witch hunt and, and come with a suspicious attitude every time where someone's talking about God, but we need to not take everything we hear at face value. We need to, as First John would even tell us, test the spirits, right? It, uh, sadly, maybe there's even a sense in which I sometimes am a little too much of constantly making sure, mm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, right? Because I, I tell you, I cannot, in the last five, six years, I cannot tell you the amount of people where, where Christians and evangelicals are raving about this person, raving about their book, to now, they wouldn't even affirm the basic tenets of Christianity. And so we, we must understand that a lot of times the way false teachers teach is not by coming right out and saying horrible, heretical things. It's oftentimes leaving out the hard parts of Christianity. If a pastor or a leader or an elder, they're preaching and they never talk about hell, they never talk about sin, they never talk about the cost of following Jesus, it should be a red flag. Not to say that they always have to preach on it, but it should be a red flag. Okay, so how else do we discern a false teacher? Look down at verse 18. Excuse me, verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Ultimately, here is how we recognize the fruit of a false teacher. By their life and their conduct. Listen, if someone is truly in Christ, here's what's going to happen. They will bear fruit. What does Jesus say in John 15? I am the vine, you are the branches. Thank you, TJ. I am the vine, you are the branches. If we are connected to Christ by faith, guess what? You will bear fruit. You will endure. You will persevere. You will make it to the end. And here's the thing. Sometimes God, he will have to do some, some pruning in our lives. Right? He says, cut away the things that aren't producing healthiness. You know? But here's the thing. Eventually, every single false teacher who on the inside is a ravenous wolf, who is not connected to Christ, it has a bad root, is a bad tree. And Jesus even gives an example, right? Our grapes gather from thorn bushes. Back then, they would have these thorn bushes, and from a distance, it looks like grapes. Like, oh, I see some grapes over there. But the closer you got, those aren't grapes. Those are thorn bushes, right? From a, from a while away, there's these type of thistles that would sometimes blossom and look like a fig, like a fig um, blossom. But you get closer, you're like, oh, those aren't, those aren't figs, right? And so what Jesus is saying here, ultimately, you will see the fruit and the conduct of a false teacher. And again, it's not going to be immediate. Usually it's, it's years. But you will see their life by their fruit. And this is why the New Testament talks so much about, for a pastor, for an elder, there are qualifications, that this ain't just for anyone. That there has to be an example and a history. And even Paul says, don't let a new convert, a young believer, become an elder. 
right? There, there's a wisdom in, in, in noticing the way in which leaders handle themselves. Now, now, here's the thing. The standard is not perfection, right? Because someone could easily follow me around for a day and say like, hey, man, I heard you say that. Right? Hey, that was kind of a rude comment, Aaron. But I do hope that over the trajectory of my life, as people watch me and they observe how I love my wife and my family and the faithfulness I give to the church and, and my love for Christ and my repentance from sins and the humility I desire to show with my brokenness and how Christ is working in my own sanctification, that I bear good fruit. But ultimately, here's what you find. A person, though, who, who would say these things, who would preach the truth, who would extol Christ, but then you find that they're having an affair. I, I cannot tell you the grief that came upon my heart when one of my favorite apologists, Ravi Zacharias, um, after he died, came out. All these horrible, horrible just out, um, accusations that were true about just sexual misconduct that he was doing. To the point where I, I even questioned his own salvation. Right? But, but here's the thing. They will be found out. Their fruit will come out. And ultimately, Jesus is saying, here's the thing. It's not always discernible. Because from a distance, hey, that looks like some grapes. Hey, that guy looks pretty good. From a distance, it looks pretty good. But, but eventually, the closer you get, here's what you'll see. Those aren't grapes. That's not good fruit. And so, guys, with, with all of that said, one of the best things I can give you is one day when you flap your wings and you fly away and you move out of Washington and you go somewhere warm, hopefully, and it's not raining all the time, <laughs> unless that's your jam, good for you. Guys, Listen that you would know your faith well enough that you could be discerning, that you would know the word and know doctrine, that you could discern truth from error, that you would understand that here's the real danger. Listen very carefully. If you hear anything tonight, here's the real danger. There are people out there who want to influence you off of the narrow path to the wide path. And sadly, it happens all too frequently. So Jesus says, be warned. There are people out there. Don't go accusing every single person of being a false prophet. That's not what we're called to do. But, but discern what they teach. Discern how they live life. Don't just look for the easy things. Look for the hard things. Don't just look for Aaron's really nice to his wife. Look for when does he repent? Does he grieve over his sin? Does he model the Beatitudes? That he mourns over his sin, that he's meek, that he has an appetite for righteousness and for justice. He's pure of heart. That he doesn't do things for the approval and the appraise of man, but, but he prays to his heavenly Father. These are the things Jesus says, be warned. Because again, the gospel is so precious that we need to protect it. Two points of application. I mentioned one, but I'll say it again. Maturity in the faith never turns a blind eye towards doctrine and theology. 
Part of being a mature Christian is learning what the Bible teaches about all the things related to the faith. And here's what I can tell you. When I began to really grow as a Christian and I was growing in my understanding of Scripture, it naturally in my heart made me defensive and mad towards false teaching. Still to this day, any doctrine or application or lesson or, or sermon that does not ultimately point to the glory of Christ makes me angry. Any teaching or application that would glorify man over Christ is a doctrine from hell. And it makes, me, makes my heart break. And so I want to encourage young people, read good Christian books, read your Bible, keep highlighting those verses, study, be diligent to all the public means of grace. What do I mean by that? Go to church, take communion, come to youth group, go to the Bible studies, meet with other Christians, be in the word. Second point of application I would say to you, don't abandon critical thought. Don't just go with the emotions of the faith. Uh, to, to quote a very famous verse, Jesus says, those who worship the Father must worship us and worship him in spirit and in what? Anyone? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It is a big temptation for young people. We just want to worship Jesus with kind of what I'm feeling. I like that worship time. I feel good. Jesus, 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 right? Don't have zeal without knowledge. Don't abandon critical thought. With all of that said, this is Jesus' warning in his kingdom. There will be people. They will look like sheep. And part of just being aware of that, I think, would also save us from the heartbreak of when it will happen to you, when you see people who you would never have thought in a million years would fall from grace, in fact, have. But last thing I'll say to not end on, on a negative note. Those who are truly in Christ will always bear good fruit. And so we don't need to worry about whether or not I'm going to fall from grace or if, I, you know, if Aaron's going to fall from grace. We trust Christ. And we know that he will make, help us reach the end. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you and we're grateful for this portion of your word. Lord, um, our faith is serious. It, it demands everything from us, Lord. And, and there are many people, Lord, who would try to distract us and to pull us off of the narrow path that we're on. Father, but give us your grace that we may continue to know your word, to defend the truth, to fight off the wolves who seek to come after the weaker believers. Um, Lord, I pray for these students. Lord, I pray that they would be discerning, that they would be gracious and kind, but they would also be firm, that they'd be firm in their commitment to Orthodox Christianity, that they'd be firm in their commitment to your word. Thank you, Lord, um, that we can be warned in this way. I pray, Lord, that you be glorified in our time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.